0: Welcome to Dulles. We're a community of faith that embodies the love of Jesus for the good of our neighbor and renewal of our world. We're so glad you're listening. And I just want to tell you that I think we're on to something important, and I want to kind of rattle your thinking here this morning. And if you're listening on podcast, if you're out of town or traveling and you're catching up on podcast, just wherever you are, I, I, I want to challenge the way you think that this isn't just another message. Please don't think that. Please don't treat what we're doing at Dulles as, well, it's another Sunday morning. I believe God's Spirit has begun speaking to us about something that's going to change our future and change the way we live our lives and our worldview and the way we see ourselves and the way we actually encounter the reality of Jesus. Okay, so we have started the series that is about how tragically, sadly, so many people of faith, so many people who fill churches struggle to actually experience the reality of God. This is a struggle that's happening all over at least the Western Hemisphere. And sadly, what has become easier in the the recent generation of God believers, churchgoers, is to be confident about political views about the state of our world and things that are wrong in our communities, then we become confident in the way humans can experience God's power, God's reality. You put somebody that's faithful to church into a political conversation at work, they're probably going to have a strong thought in how to speak up about an election or about something that's happening on the border or something that's happening in our economy. But you have somebody... Devoted to their church, uh, devoted to their faith, suddenly at work is asked a question about the resurrection, or there's some tragedy or something hard is going on in a co-worker's mind. It's amazing how many followers of God, churchgoers today, kind of freeze up and think, oh, I don't know what to say here. Oh, I wish I could find a a scripture in the Bible. Wow, I wish I knew... I wish I prayed in a way that felt like God actually answers my prayer or responds that my prayer was effective. We have a very anemic church today in the Western world. And, and, and our, our focus is not to criticize or critique or be discouraging about what's happening in the church. We're, we just want to get back to the heart of actually, how do we actually encounter God every week, every day? How do we have neighbors in crisis, and have an instinct in us, oh, I, th- I, think, I think I have an idea of something that may encourage them. I think God's Spirit is saying, hey, hey, don't turn on the TV this evening yet. Go across the street and check on the person. Hey, at work, the person who's really struggling with... ...crisis of faith or worldview. view, I, I, I want to invite them to lunch. I, there's something in me that I believe, it's not only changed my perspective of the world... ...I believe God's done something so real in me that I can actually share his reality with someone else. Where we actually live life hearing God's voice, knowing what his voice is like. We, we are so influenced by scripture, the words of God and his story in scripture... It's not that we're becoming more familiar with this religious book and these wise sayings. It's that we've allowed God's words to so change us. Paul says this in Romans. We are actually changed. We're transformed by the renewing of our mind. We're now thinking the way God thinks because we're so absorbing his words. I'm so in community, regular community with other followers of Jesus. I'm hearing God. I'm seeing God at work in us. I see God using me in ways I can't even explain. You were designed for this. You crave it. Whether you know it or not, your deepest, longest craving is to walk in the presence of God and see the life and love and power of God not only in you, but but come out of you to others. Technology executives. This is ultimately what they crave. They They may not know it. Athletes. Designers, engineers, scientists, this is what all of us are ultimately craving, is to be what we were designed to be. Now, the NBA Finals just, just happened, and my dad's here today um, on Father's Day, and dad and I try to go to a college basketball game at least once every winter. Amy played high school basketball. So, about, you know, we, we, we've seen this, what I'm about to describe, we've seen it happen a lot, and you've probably seen this on TV or when you're at a game uh, and, and if not, maybe, maybe more in college football, like the national championship, the Dr. Pepper, cha- you know, the th- throwing the football halftime challenge. Uh, at a lot of basketball games, especially big games, it's not uncommon that when halftime happens, they'll, they'll just pick a random person out of the stands to come down to the court and shoot like five foul shots in, in 20 seconds or three three pointers in 30 seconds for some crazy prize, you know? At, at, at less meaningful games, it might be like Chipotle for a year or something, but, but it can be like $10,000. At big games, it could be like $50,000 or $100,000. And when this happens, when you notice this happen, if you're at home and it's halftime and you're headed to the kitchen to get food or to take a bathroom break and you see like, oh, they're starting to pull somebody out of the stands, they're going to shoot, it, we freeze. And we, we stop and we want to watch what's happening. And I guarantee, I know that what, you're, what, what you don't think, it's, I don't think this either. You don't think, hmm, I wonder if this lady is a Republican. Or I wonder if the person they pulled out of the crowd is a Democrat. Or I wonder if this guy, this guy's probably a jerk. We don't think that. We think vicariously. It's our instinct. In moments of opportunity, we see a human that has an opportunity to step into something remarkable. You were designed in the Garden of Eden. Humans were engineered for these kinds of moments. We can call it heroic or something extraordinary. And so instead of going to the kitchen, we kind of freeze and we stop and we want to watch. And we start cheering for this complete stranger. Someone we've never met. We don't know who they are or what. We want to see this person, this human, step into the extraordinary. Now, let's say we, all of us, next basketball season, all just get in our cars and we go to a game. We go right here to the University of Maryland, to a game, or maybe we drive down 81 to Virginia Tech, or, or we go to UVA, or one of the, now I'm leaving out of school. People at GMU are going to be upset with me, or Liberty, so I'll name them all. Just, you know, any of the schools. We go to a game. And it's a big game. It's the ACC. It determines, you know, the, the the ACC champ or something like that. And it happens to you. You randomly are chosen. Pat, Sally, Lisa. And you, you know, and if you're going into the oh no, the introvert extrovert, like oh my gosh, this is the worst thing that could ever happen to me. Just, just think about the shot. You are called out of the crowd. The crowd goes crazy. You're up on the jumbotron, and you're coming down the, and you're thinking probably one of two things. You're probably thinking like oh crap. This is going to be a train wreck. This is not good. Um, because what you know, and no one else in the cheering crowd you know, knows is, you haven't shot a basketball in five years, in 10 years. You haven't shot a foul shot in over 10 years, or since you were in your 20s. Or maybe you've never even shot a basketball or a three-pointer. <laughs> or... You're thinking holy moly. I think I might be able to do this. I was just shooting basketball on Wednesday with my kids. Or I was just after work in our basketball league playing. I was just doofing off at the foul line last weekend. I think I got a pretty good shot. That was a pun. I didn't mean that. That was a I think I've got a sh- I think I've got an opportunity to go home with $50,000. If you're not ready, what you're going to do, your mind is going to slip into, and this is what we do as, as people who attend church, people who try to be faithful in church. It's, it's, the, same, it's the same paradigm. It's the same mentality. What you probably do... If you haven't been playing basketball recently, or you never was really into basketball, you probably go mentally into the trying frame of mind. I gotta try, I gotta try, I gotta try to pull this off. If you're not ready, you're gonna try. And it's probably gonna end in frustration. You're gonna try, I I gotta try to, do I I arc it higher? Do I use two hands? Do I have, I gotta try to make this happen. Or, if you've been practicing, if you've been training, there's a pretty good chance you're going to go home with 50,000 dollars. We're going to be practicing we're going to talk about practicing, putting into practice who Jesus was, what He's taught, who He is, what He's modeled for us, and practicing His power and His voice. And it boils down to either trying or training. We're either trying or training. Many people who attend churches, grew up in churches, believe we should be trying harder. We should be trying harder in our faith. We should try to understand the Bible harder. And it, this particularly happens when you're trying. You wait until moments where it matters. This guy at work just asked me a question. Dang, i got to try to come up with something in the Bible. i got to try to answer something that makes sense. And trying always leaves you in frustration. Always. It discourages you in your faith. You feel like, I didn't speak to that very well. We try to be a better person. You hear that a lot. Isn't faith about trying to be a better person? No, Jesus says you're going to fail. If you're trying to be a better person, you're going to end up discouraged. Every time. We try to hear God's voice. What we need to be is in training. We need to be practitioners. Because we're builders. This goes back to last week. This is why last week's time together on Sunday morning was so important. And it's not too late to catch up. Our, our podcast is available to everybody. You were designed, and we see it in Genesis 1 you were designed to be a creator. We, unlike any other creature in the galaxy, in the solar system, on planet Earth, humans were designed by the creator in his image. You were designed to create. Now, if you're thinking engineering, well, I'm not an architect. I'm not an engineer. You are designed to create life in relationships, in conversations. You're designed to create meaning, purpose. You are a builder. You're creating something, always. You can't help it. You may be creating something destructive, you may be creating a pattern that's unhealthy, you may be creating something that's beautiful. Jesus says, you and I are always building something. He ends the Sermon on the Mount, the most famous sermon ever spoken. The very last words of that sermon set the precipice for what comes in the New Testament. This massively major focus of the New Testament. Paul speaks to it. James in his shorter letter speaks to this. You are building something with your life, whether you're aware of it or conscious of it or not, and you're either building something strong and healthy in the the spirit of why you were made, or you're building something that's not going to last. We are all building, we're all investing in creating a future. Your job is to image God. You were made in the image of God, and it's what you're craving. Not only to do, but to become. To become. This is exactly why Jesus created the idea of a disciple. We think of disciples... We th- when, you, when, when we say the word disciple, you probably think robes... ...and da Vinci paintings... ...and fishermen. You know, I don't, I don't know what, what you think when you hear the word disciple. Jesus created this concept... ...and it's exactly like the NBA... ...it's exactly like the halftime basketball shot. A disciple either... A, a, a disciple is about... Stepping away from trying to be a religious person, trying to be good. And a disciple is called into training. I'm going to train, I'm going to follow the way of another to become more like them. The call to disciple was literally to follow me, train, practice, be my apprentice. Today, you know, maybe that's a, a word that lands a little better today. Apprentice. Oh, I know what apprentice is. We use that word in our, our workspaces. Disciple, apprentice of Jesus meant to replicate the disciplines, the practice of one. A disciple is one who practices. Now, let's go back to Genesis 1. There's a few things this morning. Just a couple couple things I want to point out that I think really help, again, set up where we're going this summer with the motivation and the clarity about why we practice. Why, on, why do I wake up early to spend time with God? Why do I go on prayer walks? Why do I open up Scripture and stick with it? And when I read something confusing, I don't give up, but I lean into my community. Why do I practice these things and remain motivated to practice these things? Because it goes back to our purpose and why you were made. All right, so if we go back to the first two verses again in Scripture, in the Bible... In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. A lot of theologians and Bible scholars will use language like uh, chaotic void. This is chaotic void that's being described here. There isn't vegetation yet. The waters haven't been separated from the atmosphere and the seas. And so it, and it's interesting because God doesn't create chaos. God doesn't make broken things. So what is happening here? In the second verse of the Bible, we're reading formlessness and darkness and emptiness. There's this sort of void that exists. But God doesn't make chaos. This explains that God is a designer who uses a creative process. There is a process of creation. Okay, we say, yeah, I get that. He wasn't finished yet. And what's staggering for so many of us who follow the way of Jesus is to learn that he, he didn't finish. Creation, we think of as perfect. There was no disease, there was no death, there's no, there no arguments, there's no murder. Creation, the garden, it was just, it was, the earth was perfect. It was perfect in that there was no flaw, but it was not perfect in that it was complete. When God mandates humans with our calling, we are to continue the creation process in his image. Where imaging God only shows more of the greatness of our creator, of the source of life. So stay with me on this. God didn't actually finish creating because he turns to humans in the final phase of creation and says, now you replicate life manage all that I've created that is good and points to me, directly points to me. In me is the source of life. We see this progression of the creative process even in the good. God says in day two, the the, the third phase of creation is good. He keeps saying it's good, he evaluates, and then he gets to the, it's very good. We see progression even in that statement. This is why we live in a world where trees, you know, you wake up and there's a, a new tree in your backyard, it's not 80 feet, feet tall that morning. It sprouts out of the ground as a sapling and just grows out. This is why humans are not born 180 pound talking adults. That's weird to think about. It's weird. This is why galaxies are expanding. In the universe, we know because of the super cool telescopes now, the universe is. Uh, expanding away from a beginning point. Astrophysicists are constantly talking about Genesis 1 whether they know it or not. The beginning point. They're trying to figure out now how did molecules and atoms burst into existence from this explosive moment. God is a God creates through process and then he comes to you and me and he says I want you to continue the replicating the creating process where everything if it's done if it's done in his image everything points to him if it's done for our own power it leads to destruction it actually leads to decreating <clears throat> our purpose is to expand God's creative life and good. In moments in spaces where his life and good may be held back. Especially in this broken world, the broken version of earth now. Our job is to expand his life. This is what you were made for. And if this is intimidating to you, this is why you need to practice. And you need to practice with other imperfect people who are also practicing. It's super encouraging and motivating when you're in a room of people and you're doing life throughout the week knowing, hey, I'm not alone. Our Wednesday nights that kick off this Wednesday, and we're going to host the first one. This is so important. It's so important that you just you sit in a room for an hour like we're going to do this summer and just say, hey, I, I can't figure out why prayer doesn't seem to work for me. That is, not, that is a great question for what we're going to be doing. I, I, I read the Bible and I understand parts of it. Other parts of it just... I don't get, we need to do that in community. The church was a community. No one ever grew spiritually in the New Testament in isolation. No one. All right, now, this paradox, this is wild. This is wild to me. And when this first just kind of settled in on me, I was like, this this is like a game changer. It's interesting, the phrase image of God. You'll agree, right? We've read it two weeks in a row now. Chapter 1, verse 26 Chapter 20, uh, verse 27, God repeats it, let us make, Adam, let us make humans in our image. In our image, we'll make them, male and female, right? That that phrase, image of God, that, that is a Hebrew set of words, that wording in the Hebrew is translated in the Old Testament every other time. Every single other time that it's used, that Hebrew expression, it's used a lot, it's translated idol. When the phrase in Genesis 1 is used, let us make humans in our image, in our image, the image of God, that phrase is translated idol every single other time that it's used. And in the ancient world, you know, we can idolize, we can form idols in our minds. We can visualize an idol. It could be a person. It could be a dollar figure. It could be a career Some kind of title in a career. It could be the way somebody we can idolize. You know, we see it in you know fame, and we understand that. But in the ancient world, idols were fashioned into statues so that you could visualize. You'd see the sun god. There was an aspect of God, or what we need from God. We need rain. We need livestock. We'll, We'll 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 make a golden calf to say this is this is we need meat and we need dairy and we so. There is this temptation to create, to fashion this idol that people would pray to. And God says, don't do it. Don't make images of me. Don't make idols of me. It's, It's in the Ten Commandments. It's the second commandment of the Ten Commandments. Do not, humans, do not create an image of me. A sun god or some kind of cow or something that you bow down to or that you say we just really need rain we really need we this is our priority this is what we need god says don't do it but in the very beginning of the story this is what is just shocking to me in the very beginning of god's story it begins with god making an image of himself the word the actual translation of the word is idol God created an idol. He's the one who created the image. And it's called human. Humans. In my notes, I had the word wow. We are made to create in God's image, replicating Him in His life. But we are not supposed to create images of God because His images, His representations, already exist. You in all people. Our purpose is to represent God on earth as his co-creators. Tim Mackey, um, who helps lead the Bible Project, he wrote this, and we're going to put this on the screen. The point of the image, meaning humans, is to be in partnership with God. If the central part of God's story is that he became human, then God's vision of a perfect universe cannot exist without humans. God has chosen to not live without humans. If the incarnation of Jesus means anything about what God wants, it's that he wants his life completely bound up together intimately with humans. The story of the world is not complete until humans are fully united to God's own life and love. And Tim says this is so profound about God and the world. You and I were designed to create and manage heaven on earth. And you can fight it. You can say, oh, I've done this thing. I don't even know if God loves me. You can say, I don't know much about the Bible. You can try to talk yourself out of it. I'm just telling you, deep in your psyche and deep in your soul, you're going to always come back to this craving. This is what you desire because it's who you were made to be. You were were designed to, in friendships and conversations, in companies, creation of organizations, you were designed to image God, his character, his life, his love, his power. we messed up and we messed up bad we chose by chapter 3 of God's story in scripture by chapter 3 we chose to rule for ourselves to subdue for our own control and we began decreating it devastated everything we essentially forfeited the garden which was the place of God's space and human space together And we broke that. We stepped outside of God's presence, God's realm. The earth was amazing. It was beautiful. It was the beautiful expression of God's creative life that was supposed to be managed by us. Where we would be responsible for the flourishing of, the replicating of life. And we forfeited that. We essentially left the garden. We removed ourselves from the garden. And humans have perpetually lived in this broken world ever since. You will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman in chapter 3. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. And she was already like God. She wasn't God. Adam wasn't God, but they were like God. Designed to image him. And that's what's so deceptive about the lie of control and controlling our own lives. He gives us the sense that, oh, I know what's best. I know what's better. And the tree of life was this, this choice. I'm going to see God. I'm going to see his instruction. I'm going to see his words. I'm going to see his timing as life, good, perpetual love, me living in and thriving in his presence. Our purpose to rule over was never supposed to be for our own power or control. That is the creation. God didn't lose control. We did. We forfeited proper ruling over. And this is what leads to Jesus becoming our template. This is what leads to choosing to become a disciple, an apprentice, one who practices the behavior and thinking and prayer connection to the Father. This is why it matters so, so profoundly for us. Jesus became the template, our template in flesh and blood of what it is for you and I, what it looks like to image God. Jesus came not to start a religion. He came to renew what's broken, to renew humanity. And we now have him as a template for getting back to who we were supposed to be. We have a template for becoming better at imaging God. And again, we're not using the word perfect. That's not our goal. Our goal is to become better and better at voicing God's heart. Better at better at living out something of the power, the supernatural power at work in our neighborhoods or in a crisis that someone's in. That we become better and better at taking risks in starting organizations or investing in an idea that can lead to good Because God's power is behind it. His love is behind it. This is why Jesus came. He didn't come to be a religious figure. Have you ever wondered why God had to come to earth as a human? When I was a kid, growing up in church, this always kind of baffled me. I was always like, why? Why did he become a human? Why didn't he just come and sort of hover in the sky for three or four days? And and use maybe some reverb. You know, in the amp, he could have... In the clouds, he could have like, used reverb where it just echoed a little more. And it was like, whoa, God is speaking and it's powerful. Or why didn't he come looking sort of like a, a Greek god-like kind of figure? This 20-foot figure. Why did he come as a human? Because God's original design and heart was that humans would co-create and manage life and perpetuate life. And when humans forfeited that, God didn't step away from his plan. He wanted a human, at least one, that would be the image of God. And so he sent Jesus. And Jesus came and fulfilled this. He was the absolute perfect image of God. And now he is the template for us. We are to emulate Jesus. We are to allow and invite into us, to surrender ourselves to the way of Jesus, the heart of Jesus, his character, his power, his voice. And if I'm repeating myself, just allow me to do this because we've been practicing the wrong way way too long. So let's, let's just, let's be okay with some repetition here, okay? This summer, in this series, either you're responsible for the replicating of your own power, your own agenda, your own advancement, your own stresses, your own consuming, or you're responsible for God's creative life being expanded in the world. Now, Rudy and I were at, Rudy's been cheering me on for this idea. I, I, I talked to Rudy and Alton, I don't know, a couple months ago. Hey, this is just like this burning fire in me. And they were like, do it. Let's, let's spend the summer on this. And a couple weeks ago, two or three weeks ago, Rudy said, man, I like starting a series with this. Why? You know, instead of just week one being, let's, pray, let's talk about prayer. Let's talk about reading the Bible. I wanted to set this up for a few weeks. And Rudy said, I, I love it. I love kind of setting, framing this all around. Well, what were we really designed to do? We're not. We're broken. We feel intimidated. We don't have confidence to know what God's voice is. We read the Bible and get frustrated. So how do we become what we crave to be? And so he said, yeah, I'd really love that. And then he said... You know you know this, Brad, but just be sure to land the plane. And I love that phrase, uh, that expression, you know, I want to land the plane here this morning. And he said, just land the plane in terms of how we make this practical this summer. And he came up with the idea, why don't we spend Wednesday nights for an hour just talking with people? What's working? What's frustrating? That's part of landing the plane. And I walked out of the coffee shop that morning and I decided, you know what? I'm going to end this week landing the plane by talking about landing airplanes. I had just read a Washington Post article about how many people were at. This was a huge sampling that were asked this question. You're on a large passenger plane, you know, a couple hundred passengers, and, and both of your pilots become incapacitated. How com- Here's the question. How confident are you putting on the headset with help from the control tower You'll actually be able to land the plane, with help from the control tower. Just under fifty percent of men said they were fairly confident they could do it. It was, it was women was a lower percentage. It was like it's, it, it averages out to about one third of twenty thousand people asked this question. One third said I, I think I could do it, <laughs> and most of them were men, which that's a whole other. And they start interviewing, they start interviewing experts in this, you know, heads of aviation associations, pilots who have this. And they start with pilots who are like, the, the percentage chance is zero. There's a zero percent chance anyone would be able to do this. And I'm reading this article like zero. I mean, I played flight simulator in my 20s. I've seen airplane movies. I mean, I, you know, there's the, there's the flaps and the they're like, they're like there's no way there's no if both of your pilots become incapacitated no one on that plane is landing it unless someone on that plane has practice or experience i'm telling you i'm halfway through that article and i'm like my next flight when i get on i'm not looking at who's sitting in first class anymore i'm looking at who looks like they've flown an airplane before You ever sat on a plane before next to a pilot? You know, I I have quite a few times. And I'm a goober, and I'll I'll ask questions about, you know, turbulence or, you know. Isn't it kind of comforting? I I had a friend, um, I couldn't disclose, you know, who he was for years, but he was an air marshal. And I got on a flight to L.A. once, and he's on the plane. And I'm telling you, I just had this calm, like, yeah. My buddy, who'd sit in church every Sunday morning... And he just kind of winks at me and, you know, does this little don't tell anybody what I'm doing on this plane. Um, when you sit on a plane and there's a pilot just reading a newspaper, and, you know, he's just, he's on the flight with you. It just does, it adds some confidence. These guys are like, if there's no one on the plane with any kind of experience, they've practiced, they've, it's not great if you lose both pilots. Don't you want to be on that plane where there's some kind of trouble. That's never going to happen, by the way. If you're an anxious flyer, that's not going to happen. This is all just hypothetical. But don't you want to look up at row 17 and say, oh, thank goodness. She, she's piloted planes before. She's gone through training. She was in the airport. He was in the... Don't you want that? God wants that person to be you. He wants it to be You. There are moments where you're going to get called down out of the stands... ...where you're going to be... that's a negative example with the airplanes... ...but you're, you're going to be in this moment where you just wish... ...you wish you understood scripture. You, un, you wish you understood prayer that doesn't work... ...prayer that's more self-focused, prayer that's hollow... ...and prayer that actually opens up this portal... ...to affecting the world around you. You're going to want it... ...when the neighbor knocks on your door and there's tears... Or the person at work is going through a divorce... or there's an idea about a new company or a new startup starting... ...and you have the ability to maybe speak into it about culture... ...and what a culture of a company would be that retains people... ...because they love how they treat others. You're going to wish you had practice in the way of Jesus... And I refer back to politics and just let me do it one more time because it's the world we live in. It's the headspace and the practice that we've been doing. It is lazy for followers of Jesus today. It is easy to say, I'll get up here and go back into real life. Sadly, that's the way so many people think. I'll get up from church encouraged. I've been reminded. Oh, this was a, Brad did a pretty good job today. I feel more encouraged today. I'm going to go back into the real world and I'm going to stand up ...for what was said on Fox News last night or CNN or I'm going to speak into... ...and and, you know, I don't want to actually show my face or I'm going to do it on social media. It is lazy to think that political powers are going to change humanity. Political power has no control over changing the human heart... ...in the future of humanity. Jesus' church is called to that. And not because we figured it out, not because we have the power... ...not because we—that's self-righteousness... We are called into this, this actual future because we're going to be imaging him. When the doorbell rings and there's tears and you're, you know, I still to this day like, oh God, give me the words, help me, I, or I don't know what to say here. And then you do. And somehow this person's encouraged or they, they look at their marriage differently or they're their anxiety is just squelched a little bit and they have more confidence. It's not because you have figured something out. It's because you've become this, this channel of Jesus, the creator, turning death and brokenness and despair into real, real hope. And he's waiting. He's waiting. He's waiting for a church. He's waiting for a generation who will say, wow, I'm going I'm to start... Practicing what it is to become better at imaging God. I can't stress it enough. We all have things Wednesday night just may practically not work for you. Um, You're not going to be judged if you don't come, and you're not going to be judged or scrutinized if you only come once a month, or maybe you can only come to, or maybe as parents, you need to alternate Wednesday nights. But this wednesday night one hour conversation it starts this wednesday you can you can tell us you're interested out in the lobby it's the top of our mobile app that link at the very top you can just say hey i'm interested or you can just show up the first one's going to be at my house for one hour seven to eight rudy me some of our other core leaders are going to be there and we're just going to say okay what's frustrating what what feels impossible about knowing god or experiencing his reality. What's working? And we're gonna share from our own experiences. We're gonna open up scripture and try to make sense out of things. And I believe it's going to be deeply important for us this summer.